Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat Shalom and Chag Sameach. It was not lost on me, and I imagine not on anyone else, that as the attention of the Jewish people turned to our people's exodus from Egypt, this past week the entire world was also focused on that selfsame location as the ever-given ship sought passage through the Suez Canal. On the banks of the same sea marshes and lagoons as the Israelites of old, an old unfolding drama of push and pull, past and present, from let my people go to let my cargo go. All eyes on how this modern-day Egyptian drama would unfold. I found myself totally obsessed with the news. The ebb and flow of the tides, the window of opportunity to dislodge a ship with the new moon. Of course, I thought, because I'm a rabbi, this is why the exodus took place on the new moon. A window of opportunity for the Israelites to flee through the sea tides and away from Pharaoh's chariots. What are the odds that at the very moment we're supposed to be thinking about how to be extricated from Egypt Everybody else in the world was thinking the exact same thing. This morning, I want to invite you into my obsession with the splitting of the sea. In Hebrew, Kriyat Yam Suf. Today, after all, as I've noted, is not just Shabbat, but it's the seventh day of Passover. According to biblical chronology, it was seven days ago that the Israelites' nocturnal flight from Egypt occurred, and it was today, seven days later, that they actually crossed the sea. The Song of the Sea, Shirat Hayam as it's known, was sung first on this very day. It's been sung at every morning service and is referenced, for that matter, in every prayer service. Today is a day more than any other day that we are called on to focus our attention on the nature, the magnitude, and the meaning of Kriyat Yam Suf, the splitting of the sea. Our homiletic journey through the sea, however, will not be a straightforward one. We're going to jump around a little bit, a little like Chad Gadya, dipping into Kriyat Yam Suf, by way of a question, a question embedded in a story, a story which raises a bigger question, a question that raises other questions and other stories, stories whose interpretations will eventually lead us through Yam Suf and Cantor into the promised land of Musaf. We begin with a story that is found in the Midrash, one of my all-time favorites. Once upon a time, an anonymous Roman matron happened upon Rabbi Yossi ben Chalafta, And she posed the following question to our great sage. How long did it take your God to create the world? Rabbi Yossi replied, six days. It took God six days to create the world. So, challenged the matron, what's your God been doing since? Rabbi Yossi responded, 
Well, God has been coupling people up, making matches. In Yiddish, we would say making shidduchs. And the matron laughed, is that all? And for this, you have faith in such a God? Even I can do that. To which Rabbi Yossi replied, though this may be an easy thing for you seemingly to do, for God, it is as difficult as splitting the sea. Kashehi lifnei hamakom kikriyat yamsuf. Determined to prove her point, the matron went home and lined up all of her male and female servants, pairing them off one with another, and pronounced, you're all now married, and she sends them off to live together. When the matron woke up the next morning, her state, well, it looked a bit like a battlefield. One servant had a bashed-in head, another had lost an eye, a third had a broken leg. What happened, the matron inquired. Each servant pointed fingers at their assigned partners with tears, with anger, with accusations. I don't want this one. I don't want that one. Hearing the servant's dismay and demands, the matron summoned Rabbi Yossi, humbly telling him, your God is not like our God and your Torah is true. You spoke wisely. Making matches for God is indeed as difficult, kashe, as splitting the sea. The story, despite its lack of political correctness and heteronormative assumptions, is a sweet one. One of many exchanges in the Talmud between Roman matrons and rabbis. Imagine dialogues that serve as literary devices to put Jewish wisdom safely into conversation with non-Jewish interlocutors. The story has been interpreted widely through the ages, shared under more wedding chuppahs than can be counted, and has been used to explain everything from the nature of love to ruminations on how God manages divine time. Given the subject matter of today, the seventh day of Passover, the question I want to pose about the story is why Kriyat Yam Suf? Why the splitting of the sea? Of all the points of reference Rabbi Yossi could have used to describe the difficulty of making merit, ma matches, why reference the splitting of the sea? God performed many miracles, like flooding the earth, giving the Ten Commandments, inflicting ten plagues, feeding Israel with manna for 40 years, and causing the sun to stand still to name but a few. Why did this miracle and not the others become the gold standard for a difficult miracle? Furthermore, why should this miracle be hard for God at all? Didn't God create the sea in the first place? Didn't God create the whole world? Splitting the sea for God, one would think, is child's play. For that matter, why would any miracle be hard for God? This is, after all, God we're talking about. One would think, or at least I would think, that in God's estimation, all miracles are equal and equally easy. Why the equivalence? What's the connection between the difficulty involved in God making matches and God splitting the sea? I had a lot of fun writing this sermon. In fact, the other day I even posted the topic on my Facebook page and I received all sorts of answers, some of which I'm going to share, all of which you can see for yourself. Delightfully, I discovered I'm not the first person to ask this question of Kriyat Yam Suf, ancient, medieval, or as recent as this past week. I want to review the possible answers before, as you may expect, I share my own. The oldest and most traditional answer, as found in the Talmud, establishes that the connection between the Exodus and the formation of a relationship is that they are both acts of liberation. 
Loneliness, according to the book of Psalms, is a form of spiritual imprisonment. To find a loving partner, to enter into a covenant with another, is understood thus as an act of emancipation, akin to the deliverance of Israel from their Egyptian bondage and eventual covenant with God at Mount Sinai. Other answers similarly seek to establish a connection between the aqua dynamics of sea splitting and the psychodynamics of finding a good match. For instance, one of my colleagues reminded me that just as the first human being was once one, then split into two, only to be reunited with its counterpart, so too the sea, initially one, then split by God, then reunited. Another person pointed out on my Facebook page that the imagery of the splitting of the sea has long been understood by scholars as a birthing metaphor, the new life of the Israelite nation. What is, he wrote, the act of matchmaking, if not the act of giving life to something completely new? An old pal of mine from Chicago said that the miracle of the sea is about the miracle of timing. If the sea had split too late or too long, there is no exodus, no Israel, and no subsequent Jewish history. Just like a relationship, everything she wrote depends on timing. Another colleague suggested that God's splitting of the sea was an assertion of order over the chaos of the waters, just like at the core of any relationship sits the tension of chaos and order, an observation interesting both unto itself and as an insight into my colleague's marriage. One of my favorite answers came by way of someone who did not post on my Facebook page, the 12th century philosopher Maimonides. As a rationalist, Maimonides downplayed the supernatural element of so-called miracles. The rise and fall of tides need not be explained by way of divine intervention. Such things, Maimonides explains, can occur within the bounds of nature. The thing about these so-called miracles, however, is that in retrospect, when we recall them, we see the hand of God. We assign the overlay of the supernatural. So too in our relationships. The fact of two people meeting and falling in love, that is something that can be explained contextually, physiologically, even maybe chemically. In retrospect, however, when we reflect on our love stories, we always say it was beshert. It was meant to be. Our romances made possible by way of God's guiding hand. All these explanations, and there were many others, are beautiful. Each explanation and interpretive possibility as to why the splitting of the sea and matchmaking are drawn into conversation one with the other. None of these explanations, however, answer our initial question, the question of difficulty. God is God. Why would either splitting the sea or matchmaking be considered kasheh for God? You may have noticed that I keep using the Hebrew word kasheh, usually translated as difficult, as in miracles of varied levels of difficulty. It was a great scholar of Hebrew folklore, Avigdor Shinan, who in an article on the subject cited the founder of modern Hebrew, Eliezer ben Yehuda, who long ago pointed out that sometimes kasheh doesn't mean hard as in difficult, but also hard as in complicated. For God, the decision to split the sea, Shinan says, was a complicated one because it was a miracle that put values into conflict. You might be familiar with the Midrash that describes Israel's jubilant singing as they cross the sea, 
singing that was silenced by God, who scolded Israel for celebrating as their Egyptian oppressors were drowned in the waters. Whatever the Egyptian sins, the splitting of the sea was cachet, complicated in God's eyes, because it came with a cost, the cost of Egyptian lives. What does all this have to do, you might be asking, with making matches? Well, it leads me to one of the most intriguing, and for some people listening, I imagine, the most inspiring explanation of all. The 13th century Tosfo Shantz explains that these matches that God has been working on since creation are not just any matches, but actually a subcategory of matches, specifically second marriages. The miracle of a second marriage of two individuals finding compatibility after a failed first marriage, explains the Tosfo Shantz, is an extraordinary one, arguably greater than a first marriage. But it's a miracle that's complicated for God. Complicated because the learned wisdom of a second marriage only arrives by way of the heartache of the dissolution of the first. Why is the creation of second marriages as cachet complicated as a splitting of the sea? because they're both conundrums for God. Miracles, victories, if you will, that come in the wake of loss and the expense of something else. As you can begin to sense, there's been much ink spilled on this question of Kriyat Yam Suf. One scholar, Menachem Fish, suggests that Kashet does not mean difficult or complicated, but rather rare, meaning a good shidduch, a good match, in God's eyes, is as rare or as important as crossing the sea. Another scholar notes a similarity in language between the splitting, literally the tearing of the sea, and the tearing of a man from his mother in order to cling to his wife as described in the book of Genesis, a mighty miracle that has eluded many a nice Jewish boy. Probably the sweetest of explanations is that both crossing the sea and entering a relationship involve a leap of faith. You may recall the famous story of Nachshon ben Aminadav, who steps into the waters prompting them to split, just as a person must do in order to enter a new relationship. A beautiful thought, but again, one that doesn't address our fundamental question. It was for God, not Nachshon or the Israelites, for whom the splitting of the sea was kasheh. So what's my answer? Why do I think kashehi lifnehamakom kikriyat yamsuf? That making matches for God is as difficult as splitting the sea. Well, I believe that God had no trouble, no trouble at all splitting the sea. There's no difficulty level for God on this or any other miracle. But what was kasheh for God is that God had to split the sea not knowing how the Israelites would respond or if they would respond at all. Would they turn back? Would they freeze up? Would they refuse to step forward? God had to take that first step to put the divine self out there, not knowing whether this ragtag crew of newly liberated slaves would take their cue, exercise their own free will, and despite their self-doubt and backsliding ways, meet God halfway. To put yourself out there, to muster the courage to make yourself vulnerable, to make that bold gesture not knowing whether you will be rebuffed. That, my friends, however you define kasheh, is kasheh. And it is a courage that is fundamental to building any relationship. What is, after all, the act of building trust 
building confidence, building commitment, if not the repeated willingness to extend beyond one's comfort zone, even when, if not especially when, one is not sure whether that gesture will be reciprocated. It's an interesting thought, and not a little bit heretical, to think that the faith established at the crossing of the sea was not Israel's faith in God, but God's faith in God, faith that Israel would follow God into the sea. Some of us may be in the business of matchmaking. Some of us may even be looking for a match. All of us, I would argue though, are in one way, shape or form, standing at the banks of the sea. We always are, but today it's the calling of the hour. There are things we're all called on to do, destinies we are asked to fulfill, and relationships of one kind or another we are being asked to build. We hear the challenge to be godlike, to perform that courageous act of making ourselves vulnerable by extending ourselves, not knowing how our efforts will be received and our future will unfold. The waters are before us and the Egyptian chariots are fast approaching. If we stand still, our fate is sealed. Every step forward comes with its risks. What must we do? Let us be strong and of good courage, acting for the best, hoping for the best, and taking what comes through the sea and into the promised land. Shabbat Shalom and Chag Sameach. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.